You're listening to the Harvest Christian Fellowship Weekend Message Podcast. To learn more about our community, like what we believe and how you can take a next step, visit us online at hcfcornwall.ca or join us for one of our services this weekend, Sunday mornings at 9.15 or 11 here at 847 York Street. Good morning. How's everybody doing? No pressure on me. Another message, credible message by Pastor Roy Stevenson. I hope it'll be incredible as we talk to you today about God hasn't forgotten you. Just before we begin our message, as Frank was praying uh, this morning and for healing, and he mentioned something about even the small things. And sometimes I think we don't stir ourselves enough just to believe God that he wants to heal you and heal like if you had sciatica this morning, that you just... That's, that's a pain in the back. That's what that is. And God wants to heal that today. And so if that's you today, just put your hand on that area of your sciatica pain and just say, Lord, heal me. And don't be surprised if that doesn't happen. Somebody else with some sinus issues. I don't know exactly if it's a deviated septum, but you just really, it's not cold or allergy. I'm not talking about that, but just really uh, have trouble in your air passages, just getting enough air. And God wants to touch that today. Someone with psoriasis, God wants to heal that today. And, uh, um, you know, he's just a God that loves to heal us, but so often we're just not aware that that's available, and it's ours for the taking. Uh, when the Bible says receive, it's the picture is that God extends his hand, extends healing to us, we're to receive it by faith. Why don't you just go ahead, if that's one, any condition, but if that's one of your conditions today, why don't you just take that online today and uh, take that healing that's yours today online Welcome. I'm so glad you're a part of what's happening today, and we're excited that you're here, and I'm super excited that you're in the room. It's so fun worshiping together, isn't it? Just being able to express ourselves, and man, yeah, it's just pretty awesome. God hasn't forgotten you. A number of years ago, I was thinking about my sixth grade teacher. Her name was uh, Mrs. Trotzieck. And I was thinking about her because I was uh, thinking about all of the teachers I had all the way through school and through high school, and she was my favorite. Uh, there was just something about Mrs. Trotzier that made going to sixth grade incredible. And um, she was a, I think she was, it was her first year, our class was her first year, grade six, and uh, she figured out this incentive program that if us rambunctious sixth graders could uh, have some semblance of behavior and get our work done. She said that she would end the school day early and she would read to us. Well, the first day that that kind of worked out and she took a book off of the shelf and it was J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. And not only did she have a gift to read, uh, she was also an artist. And as days turned into weeks because we couldn't wait to the end of the day when she would pull the hobbit off the shelf and begin reading where she had left off the day before. We were just fixated on, on what was taking place in the story. But as an artist, uh, she uh, would take large rolled up uh, like paper rolls and unroll it and she would draw the scenes uh, from the chapters that we were reading, attach them to the walls, and in art class, we would use our imaginations and color in those uh, line drawings and bring them to life the way uh, we had imagined it as she was reading it. And it was, I mean, it was just incredible. And I was thinking about not just 
uh, her reading and, and all of that, but how much she'd impacted my life. So I decided to Google and see where she was at in life, and it turned out that she was uh, retired by the time I did this a number of years ago, but she had retired to be a children's, uh, she illustrated and wrote children's stories uh, that are available on all platforms and uh, all different, all different um, venues, bookstores, and online, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, also highlighted uh, Inuit and First Nations people, too, in, in, her, in, in her books. I thought there was a contact information, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send her an email. And I began my email, you won't remember me, but I remember you. And I began just to kind of disclose how uh, she'd impacted my life, how great grade six was. And I was quite amazed that within a day, the following day, I received a reply. And in her email, she's, she said to me, of course, I remember you. So I thought that's quite polite of her. How many students she had retired, uh, being a school teacher. I've long since been out of the school system. But she began to describe uh, intricate details of my sixth grade experience and her as a teacher, things that took place in her room that she could only have known if she had remembered. And there was something about that as I'm reading. She remembered me. She remembers and it just, it was incredible. It just was such a feeling uh, of importance and significance. Being remembered produces powerful emotions in us. And the science has done a lot of studies on this. In fact, I got a little sidetracked this week reading some of the studies of how psychologists and psychiatrists have studied uh, how humans respond to being remembered. I was at a conference a number of years ago. And I was there with a friend of mine who knew the keynote speaker really well. And after the session was over, he was heading up uh, to talk to the keynote speaker. He said, do you want to meet him? I said, I have actually met him several times. In fact, in our church in Messina, he was there as guest ministry. I've hung out with him. I've sat down with him. But he never remembers who I am. And he goes, no, come on. He's not like that at all. He, he, you got to be kidding me. I said, I'm not kidding you. I guarantee you, if we go up, he will smile, he will act like he knows me, but he doesn't know who I am. And he goes, come on. So I said, no. So we go up, and just before I turned my name tag over, because we were at a conference, we had our lanyards on, and I turned the name tag over, and, uh, and so we go up, and he, he greets my friend, and hey, how you doing, la, 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 and then turns to me, puts his hand out, looks me in the eye, and then his eyes drop down to my name tag, which is turned over. It looks back up at me, hi, how you doing? Haven't seen you for a long time. Very polite response, but you didn't remember me. You have forgotten me. <laughs> well, it doesn't feel as good being forgotten as it does to be remembered. In fact, being forgotten also elicits powerful emotions in us uh, that are very negative, that we feel overlooked. We feel that we're not important. We feel that we, we don't matter. And so as we look at kind of being forgotten and being remembered, I want to talk about this today because the enemy loves to use this tactic to convince you that God has forgotten about you. God has forgotten who you are. God has forgotten whatever prayers you've uh, lifted to him that God has forgotten you. We've probably all been in restaurants and when it's been a little bit busy and they seated your party, and you sat down, and, and uh, you're interacting, and then the waiter comes over and takes your order, 
And uh, another party comes in, you just happen to notice, some time's gone by, and another party comes in, and they're seated as well, and, and uh, they're at their seat, and, and uh, you're kind of wondering, where are, where's our order? We ordered a long time ago, and, and, and some more time goes by, and, and, uh, and, and, there, and then the, the server comes out with the platter, the food looks amazing, you're like, you're anticipating it, you're like, man, that's mine, I can't wait to dig into that, and they walk right past your table. And they put it down on the table of the people who came in after you did. They serve out the food. Everybody at that table is like, wow. They come. And you're all, you're looking at each other, and you all have the same conclusion. And you say, they must have forgotten us, forgotten our order, forgotten about us. And then your, wait, your server comes over a few minutes later and goes, now we haven't forgotten about you. Your <laughs> yes, you did. Yes, you have. Many of us feel like we've been forgotten, and not at the restaurant, but in life. We feel overlooked and passed by, discouraged, feeling no one really cares, no one really sees uh, what we do, what we contribute. Some of you uh, go into work uh, day after day wondering if you make a difference, if you matter. And maybe you don't have a management team that's sensitive enough to uh, let you know once in a while, validate you that you're doing a good job. And you're left wondering that pain, am I forgotten about? Do I matter? Am I just skin taking up space? This morning, you might even feel like God has forgotten you, that he doesn't care about you or what you're going through, that everybody else is being served in this life with blessings. Everybody else is being served with, with something coming to their table, but you feel as if there's nothing coming to your table today. Today I want to talk about the God who remembers, the God who knows you, who loves you, cares about you, no matter what you're going through today, God has not forgotten you. Father, I just pray right now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you're reaching down. Somebody's stuck today. Somebody's fallen into the hole of feeling discouraged. Somebody is trapped in the place of feeling they don't matter. Somebody feels forgotten by you today. And Lord, we want to cancel that lie of the enemy. We want to cancel that attack right now. By the time we're done today, Lord, that they all know they've taken hold of you and that you remember. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. I want to look at three biblical characters that are in your notes. If you ask for those today, if you have those. And the first one is Rachel. We meet Rachel in Genesis, and she's married to Jacob. And it's really an amazing love affair. And Jacob uh, works for seven years for his uh, soon-to-be father-in-law, Jacob, uh, excuse me, uh, Laban, and that's kind of a dowry of sorts uh, to show that he is really serious about taking care of Laban's daughter, Rachel. They're in love, and, and finally, uh, it's the day that they're going to get married, and they begin their life together, and uh, Rachel soon finds out that she's barren, that she cannot have children. And in this culture, that, is, that really is a reproach. It's a high level of embarrassment that's brought not only to the couple, uh, but to the family line, the family line before and the family line that won't continue because of her barrenness. It was seen as a curse. It was seen really as if uh, God had, had done something negative, uh, that God had cursed this couple. And it was, it, she would feel so much reproach in the culture and in the family. Well, Jacob actually had another wife, and her name was Leah. And some time goes by, and Leah gets pregnant with her first baby and, and has that baby. And Rachel's feeling blessed for Leah, but she can't help but feel left out. 
as she watches Leah's excitement, as Leah uh, as begins to uh, show and be with child and the excitement and the neighborhood and, uh, and, and the family and that first baby shower and the family. And Rachel thought it would be her, but it wasn't. It was Leah. And she tried her best to be upbeat, to be positive, but she couldn't deny the pain in her own heart that she wasn't pregnant. In fact, she was, she was barren. Leah had another baby, and another baby, and another, and another. Leah was quite fertile and had many children that she gave to Jacob, who would go on to be called Israel, uh, the, fa uh, the father of the, the Jewish nation. But Rachel was still barren. The dream in her heart to have a baby seemed so far away. She was probably tempted to just go, ah, forget about it. Just forget about it. I've never had to have a baby. I'll never be a mom, and it just seems so far away and so forgotten. And today, you might feel a little bit like Rachel because everybody around you is excited about the things God's doing. Everybody around you seems to be blessed. Everybody around you seems to be receiving something that causes them to smile, like the people in the restaurants, like, I've anticipated this. I couldn't wait for this. I, I, wow, my taste buds and your spiritual taste buds are like, I ask God too. Where's my answer to prayer? What's happening to the dream that was in my heart? It seems so real at another time. The promises of God seem to stir your faith in a way that you were strong to receive those promises. But as time has gone by and everyone else in the restaurant has been served their promises, you're left wondering this morning, has God forgotten me? Did he forget his promises? You've done everything you were supposed to do, just like Rachel did, but you feel forgotten. Let's pick up the story. Genesis chapter 30, verse 22. Then God remembered Rachel. He listened to her and he enabled her to conceive. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son and said, God has taken away my disgrace or he's taken away the reproach. I'm not cursed, I'm blessed. God remembered Rachel. Big question for us today. So if God remembered Rachel, then does he have the capacity to forget? Is it a matter that God had forgotten Rachel, remembered Leah for whatever reason, then it says, then in some point in time, God, oh, right, right, Rachel. Angels get on that. Let's open up her womb. Let's do a miracle. And then God remembered Rachel at some point, and he did a miracle, and she became pregnant. But does that presuppose, then, if he remembers that he did actually forget? Because if God forgets about me, that's a problem. <laughs> what kind of God is this? I'm not sure I can trust this kind of God who forgets. And so we need to answer the question today, what does it actually re mean to remember, and does that presuppose that God forgets? Well, the Bible interprets itself. And so often when we're trying to understand what the Bible is teaching us and saying, we take a lot of scriptures and put them together, and the Bible will answer those questions. And we find the answer in Isaiah chapter 49. And in uh, uh, Isaiah is prophesying, in, in the book of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah is prophesying to Israel in a time that they're going through as a nation an incredible difficulty. But the people said in this time, the Lord has abandoned us. Ever felt that way? Man, I've talked to people who go through difficulty 
And I feel so badly because they'll say to me, I, I've confessed every sin. I've checked my heart. I, I've done everything, and, and I, I think I've, I've cleaned the slate, but is God punishing me? Is God cursing me? Is, is God angry at me? It's such a really horrible religious idea that, that God would somehow be against us when the Bible promises that God is not against me, but God is for me. In fact, Paul said, if God is for me, who can be against me? But human nature will often jump to this conclusion. The enemy will be in your head and in your ear say, oh, yes, he has. And the people said, the Lord has abandoned us. He has forgotten us. And so the Lord answers immediately. Can a woman forget her own baby and not love the child she bore? So moms, you had your baby on Monday. Scripture is asking Tuesday morning, did you wake up? And go, ah, so what am I going to do today? And somehow forgot what happened yesterday? No, you woke up several times in the night, whether, you, whether the baby was, did that or not. You just went in. You walked in just to look and go, is she still breathing? Is she still breathing? You did that because you didn't forget about your labor that you had yesterday, or last week, or last year, or a lifetime ago. Can a woman forget the analogy that Jesus, that God is telling his people? Can a woman forget her own baby and not love, not embrace, not take care of the child she bore who's so innocent and fragile and, and, and needing mom in those moments? Even if that's possible, I will never forget you. I can never forget you. I have written your name on the palms of my hand. God doesn't forget, and he can't forget. So then what does it mean that he remembers? If all of a sudden he remembers, doesn't that presuppose that he forgot? Let's put these, let's understand these two words this morning and break some things and, and turn some things around in your heart today so that you begin to pray like uh, the three people we're going to look at this morning and go, God remembers me. And take hold of that God is remembering you right now. What does it mean that he remembers? When my three older boys were young, I drove them to school every morning. And on the way to school, we would talk about whatever seemed appropriate to three little guys uh, that were uh, at that time, kindergarten and, and then grade two and grade three or four, and it's some, some combination of all of that because we did it for many, many years. And, um, and on the way to school, we find something to talk about. And one morning, anticipating a trip to Florida, and we hadn't done that before, and we were going to drive down to Florida. In fact, we, we did many, many years ago. I think it was uh, the year 2000, no, 19, I don't know. Yeah, I think it was the year 2000. Um, and we're anticipating that. And, uh, and so, as they're talking about it and asking so many questions, I said, boys, boys, I got their attention in the car. I said, mark this moment. And they knew what that meant, because I had done that many, many times uh, before. And when I said, mark this moment, to remember what we were talking about, to remember that moment in the car and mark it so we would never forget it, I said, uh, they, they knew, they would look for a landmark. And we were passing by uh, this particular house that had uh, moose antlers attached to the garage, this big set of moose antlers. And, uh, and, and one of the boys said, the moose antlers, 
mark the moment, the moose antlers. And so uh, on, the way to, on the way to school um, till Florida happened, and for years afterwards, somebody, once, not every time, but as we would pass the moose antlers, somebody would say, mark the moment, and they would begin talking about Florida and the trip that we had. And they go, remember we were looking forward to it? Here it is after, and now we have the memory. Mark the moment. My oldest son, Nathaniel, uh, told me that uh, we lived, we're Canadians, but we lived in upstate New York for about 12 years in Messina. And my oldest son had gone over cross-border shopping, I think, a number of years ago. And he said, Dad, I went by the old place. I looked by our house. I said, oh, I love doing that. What was that like for you? And he began to tell me. He said, I was on Andrew Street. Uh Uh-huh. Saw the moose antlers. Marked the moment, Dad. Not only was he reminiscing about the house, he instantly had in mind all that had taken place in Florida. God doesn't forget. The word remember, as God said, but God remembered Rachel, means that God knows you intimately. He knew you before you were born. He knows the plans that he has for you. When it says that he, he remembers you and marks you on the palms of his hands, why the hands? Because God works with his hands. And as God is working behind the scenes uh, on your destiny, you see, before you were even born, he knew you. The Bible said before you were fashioned in your mother's womb, which he oversaw, regardless of the circumstances of your conception, God was about your life. God put you together. God put you together with destiny, with promise. He put you together with purpose. You're not skin that's just taking up space. You're a part of a cosmic plan that God says, I'm overseeing. I have promised you. I will see that you fulfill all that's in my heart to bless you. I know the plan I have for you, says the Lord, before you even were thought of by your parents, before the creation of the earth itself, God put your name on his working hands, and he began at creation. He had you in mind. All through, all through life before you, your life, and right at this moment, he's literally tattooed your name on the palms of his hands. He's working. He remembers. He marked the moment of your life before you were born, at the, before the creation of the earth. He looked around at the angels and he said, mark this moment. Frank Coleman is going to do great things. He's going to marry a wife that no one's going to believe how awesome she is. People are going to question what kind of blessing is this that God would give a woman like Tiffany to Frank. What a miracle this is. You only get to see the upfront guy. You should see the behind the scenes woman that God gave this man. Put your hands together for Tiffany Coleman today. Mom of three great kids and four great kids, if you count Frank, which she says once in a while she does. God said there's a man and a woman and a family that would have a great, great destiny. And he put your names on the palms of his hand. He's working on your behalf. He's watching you every day. To remember in the scriptures when God said he remembered Rachel, to bring to mind and, it's a two-part understanding of the word, it's not just remembering, it's acting because his hands are completely and always acting on your behalf. 
Then God remembered Rachel. Well, he had never forgotten her. She was ever before him. He knew she was barren. He knew it seemed like blessings were being served to everyone but her. But he had the perfect plan for her. His plan for her looked different than Leah. His plan for her wasn't any less blessed. His plan for her wasn't any less dramatic and, and, and full of destiny. Its timing was just a little different than Leah's. And God remembered Rachel, and he listened to her. He had always listened to her. And at the moment that he began to act, he enabled her to conceive, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God hasn't forgotten you. He's remembering you, and he's acting on your behalf this morning. I want to talk about Noah. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. As we read the story of Noah and building the ark, the purpose of the ark was that God uh, had seen the wickedness of man. And God said, we got to start over again. It grieved the heart of, the heart of God that it said even that he had made man. He was, it was almost as if it were possible, God second guessing, is this going to work? But God knew his plan works every time. It words it that way to help us understand how, how God interacts with us and how much God loves us. And God saw the family of Noah. He gave him the instructions to build the ark and then invited him to have all of the animals of the earth come in uh, with his family. And so Noah, God said, come on in. It's time to go in to the ark. They stayed in that ark. God shut the door and the rains began to pour. For 40 days and 40 nights, it was the storm of all storms as literally the, the envelope around, the atmospheric envelope around the earth, which we believe, according to scriptures, that the earth was a paradise, all of it. Science and geologists tell us that the earth wasn't always on a 23 and a half degree a tilt on its axis, causing there to be a north pole and a south pole. And that there is scientific evidence that the earth once was a greenhouse effect because there was an atmospheric water uh, envelope around the earth. If you read the scriptures, it said there wasn't rain before this time, that God watered the earth with dew. But at this moment, that atmospheric envelope was ripped. And a storm of all storms, thunder, lightning, they're hearing rain. They've never heard it before. It's been dark for 40 days. It's been dark for 40 nights. I can't imagine what it would be like to sit huddled as Noah and his wife and his, his children and their families are huddled up in the ark. The animals are anxious. The animals are making sounds that they didn't even know animals could make. There is this constant for 40 days pressure and anxiety and, and, and uh, the unknown and stress as they huddled, crying out God's name. Will we get through this? Family trauma, family difficulties, someone speaking, God speaking to families today. Everything was tense. Sometimes we as families go through storms. And it just feels like we're never going to get out. Something happens that just so changes our life. And we're wondering, could it ever be the same? Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it's just uh, things taking place in that family unit. All of us have faced family storms wondering, will our family ever be the same? Does God remember our family? Genesis 8.1, but God remembered Noah, and the waters receded. Not only was the storm over, but the floodwaters receded into the oceans. 
God opened the door of that ark, and there was something brand new that was going to take place. There was a new beginning. Even though what had been passed was remembered, they were now going to step into something that was brand new. They were going to step into something that was unknown, but it was brand new. God was about to do a miracle for the family of Noah. And you've really got to get this. You've really got to get this one this morning. I just think this is so important. God remembered, the Bible says, Noah. But when the doors opened, the blessing wasn't just to Noah. The blessing was to Noah's line, to his legacy, Noah's children. Because there are people that have made a decision, I'm going to serve God, and didn't know that their decision would affect their children and their grandchildren and their grandchildren's grandchildren. And sometimes when we're feeling like we don't matter, sometimes when we feel like someone's just forgotten me, what about me? What happens is God reminds us that the promise I gave you is not just for you, but it's for your family. I want to give your family a brand new start. I don't want what was once was. I want to get rid of what's once, what once was and give you a new beginning. And the door of the storm opens up, and the storm isn't remembered anymore. And the darkness of 40 days and 40 nights and 150 days until the waters receded. But then the blessings began to flow because God didn't give the promise just to Noah. He gave it to Noah's family. God has given your family. Oftentimes we uh, so celebrate, not often, all the time, we, uh, the incredible family here at Harvest, the Brink family, just an amazing family. And people say, you know what, look at the blessings on that family. There are generations of believers in that family that understood this promise. Not just John and Mary, but Mary's parents and John's parents before them said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve God. And passed a generational blessing on to their children. Watch this verse in Deuteronomy. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath of the promise that he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Know therefore, you got to know this therefore, come on, grab hold of this church today in faith, that the Lord your God is God. He is faithful. Somebody say faithful. Even if you're in the storm of your family today, he is faithful, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. <laughs> so good. <laughs> you say, do I have to wait for the thousand generations? No. If you're a first-generation Christian, come on, grab hold of those blessings and start understanding that they go to your children and your children's children. Listen to this story. I have a friend that grew up in a family. His dad was uh, entrepreneurial. and He started his own business. He really felt like the Lord had put the idea for the business in his heart. My friend's dad was very prosperous. And uh, he started that business. And uh, that dream in his heart became a reality. And people all over the region, in fact, the state that they grew up in, knew about the business. Um, and when my friend was in his late teens, everything changed. It turned out that the accountant that they had hired for this business was cooking the books. And he was funneling off the money, and there was no money, actually. It just had the appearance uh, that they had a lot of money. There was an investigation done by the authorities, and they realized what had taken place. And by the time, though, 
uh, all of, they got into the bottom of all of it because there were suspicions that my friend's dad was a part of it. He was on the front page of the newspaper. But that business and his reputation was collapsed. And at that time, he was really at an age where starting another business and getting to that same level, though he did, but it never got to the level that it once was. I remember saying to him, that must, that must, that's crazy. I mean, what did that, what happened to you as a late, you know, in your teenage years and, uh, you know, your family being believers? And I mean, your life changed dramatically. He said, dramatically? Huh. He said, I drove a Corvette to high school on my 16th birthday when I got my license. He said, changed dramatically? I went back to riding my bicycle because we had nothing. The creditors, my dad bought the Corvette not knowing he was buying it with money that wasn't there. The creditors came and hooked up the tow truck at high school and towed my Corvette away. Yeah, my life changed dramatically. And I've never forgotten what he told me next. He said, I understood that God had given my father a promise. That business, that business was not his idea. That was God's idea. And the devil thought he could take God's promise and keep it. But the devil's really bad at keeping promises. In fact, the devil can't keep promises. Pun is intended. The devil can't keep promises. And I refuse to believe that my dad's promise, you see, Roy, that was part of my inheritance. That was to be a part of my future because I have it in my heart to be an entrepreneur too. And those were finances that I would have used to start my business that I didn't have. And so I begin to pray and say, God, you can reverse this. You made a promise to my dad, and the enemy stole it. I read in the Bible that God repays many times over for what was stolen. So I'm not standing for what the devil stole in my family line. I'm not standing for that. What is the devil stolen in your family line today? What is he possessing that represents the promise of God that he's not supposed to keep, that you're supposed to get a hold of and say, that's my family's? My friend, as he told me this story 30 years ago, he said, I'm believing God for my business to surpass what my father's ever was, and I will pass on to my children and their children the blessing of God, not just finances, but an understanding of a God who, who, who loves and blesses. And I can tell you today, as he now is in the years of retirement, he has more money than he knows what to do with. And he is laid up for future generations. He supports uh, the work of God and the house of God in a very profound way. Why? Because he refused to believe that a promise given to his family didn't belong to him. God remembers. Can I give you one more this morning? It's a short one. Can I give you one more? Doesn't matter if you said yes, I was gonna do it anyway. In the book of Judges, we meet a man named Samson. For some, you might know the story of Samson and Delilah, but maybe from more of a movie or from a book. He's a biblical character that breathed air. He was for real. He lived. God had given him supernatural strength over the enemy. He was a one-man military force against the Philistines. But Samson began to take for granted his relationship with God and the destiny that God had given him. He began to get his eyes off of God and the promises of God. He began to go his own way. Over his lifetime, he got to the point where he blew it. I mean, really, really blew it. His enemy defeated him and rose up and literally plucked his eyes out. 
He no longer possessed the strength that God had given him. He'd given it away. Plucked his eyes out so he was a blind slave living in a small prisoner cell below the temple of the Philistines. If you had asked Samson, if you'd gone down to his prison cell and said, Samson, do you think God will ever give your strength back again? And, I mean, God had promised you great, a great life, and here you are, Samson. And Samson would say, ah, forget about it. I'm disqualified. You see, I, I sinned really badly. I, I, I did some things that are that, are, that really shouldn't even be repeated. I'm so ashamed, I'm embarrassed, but I did some things I should not have done. I got away from God. I went my own way. No, no, I'm disqualified from the promises of God. This is as good as it's gonna get. I'll live out my life and hopefully, hopefully God will see some way to pardon me or some way, I don't, yeah, forget about it, no. One day the enemy, the Philistines, brought him out of his prison cell and put him on display in their temple. On that day, the temple was filled with all the powerful who's who of the evil Philistine empire. Samson was leaning against one of the main pillars. It was a young boy, and he recognized his voice, whispered to the boy, hey, boy, you take my other arm and just position it on the other pillar. Why, Samson? What are you going to do? It's okay. It's okay. Just... Kid, it's probably good that you go home right now. Not a good time to be in the temple. Samson prayed a prayer. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Here's what Samson didn't know. God had never forgotten him. It doesn't matter what sin we've committed. You can never be disqualified from the love of God. The Bible says that nothing, neither height nor depth nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Not even sin can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because there's an antidote to sin. His name is Jesus, and he died on the cross. Now listen, hang on, hang on, don't clap yet. Because when he went to the cross, his hands were nailed to the cross. And he looks at those nail hole tattoos that he remembers you. He can't forget you. He will never forget you. You are before him at all times. And when he looks at his hands and he's working on your behalf, he looks at the nails that went through and the blood that came out and said, I have an antidote for sin. I have an antidote for the person who thinks they blew it. I've got an antidote for a life that feels disqualified. I want to give you back the anointing. I want to give you back your strength. I want to give you back that which you think you have lost. In that moment, as he prayed that prayer, the Bible says that he pushed the pillars. And in Samson's last uh, feat of strength, he was a greater military leader. More happened in that moment than it happened in all of his life combined. Good news is you don't need to die today. You can live and embrace your gifting and your calling. Every head bowed and every eye closed in this room today. Samson just needed to get a hold of the reality that nothing can disqualify us. If you're in this room today, we do this every Sunday. It's one of my greatest privileges to talk to people in this very sober moment at the end of our service. Talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus today. 
You're in your prison cell. Life was great, but not so great right now. And you're wondering, you're wondering if it could ever change. I'm telling you, I'm here today to tell you, your life can change. There's an antidote for sin. You haven't blown it. There's forgiveness for sin. And a God who wants to love you. As you're wondering, does God remember me? Yes, God remembers you. There's a beautiful scripture that says when we bring our sin to God, invite Jesus into our life, he forgets our past. I don't know how God forgets it because I can't forget mine, but God forgets it. As far as the east is from the west, well, those two things will never touch. The Bible says God has put your iniquity in your sin. If you're in this room, today I want to pray with you. If you've never invited Jesus to come in, forgive you, come into your life and give you eternal life. He wants to do that today. He wants to do that today. If that's you, I'd like you just to slip up your hand and say, Pastor, include me in the prayer. I want to invite Jesus in my life today. Anywhere in this room or online, just say, I want to pray that prayer. Anyone in the room, I just want to glance around. Just put your hand up so I can see it. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you putting your hand up today. Thank you. You can put it down. Thank you. Anyone else today? Is there anyone else today? I just want to wait a moment. It's just a very precious moment where God's saying, I want to change your life. I remember you. Harvest, let's pray this prayer. And anybody online, we love to do this. Let's pray this prayer together. Sir, as you raised your hand, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you that you love me. There's an antidote for sin. It's your love. You love me today. I don't understand that, but I'm going to receive it. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. I start my new life with you today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you if you prayed that prayer. We believe you're born again. Would you stand to your feet today? As you pray, as you sing this song, we'll be dismissed in just a moment, but as we close today's service, singing and worshiping, will you sing and worship the God who hasn't forgotten you? Wherever you're at in these stories, wherever you related today, God remembers you. God bless you, Harvest. Have a great week. Till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame, and now there's truth of all shall not kneel, shall not fade by his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free for the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me.
Well, hey, thank you so much for being here today. We love you online. We love you. We're so glad that you're with us today. Have an awesome day, and we'll see you next week, everybody.